Let me officially say uh, good mornings to everyone. We are, um, as you see, if you were here during the pregame, we were uh, going um, jumping into Songs of Solomon and some other lessons here. Sorry, hold on, you guys. My allergies are all of a sudden starting to kick up. Sorry. Um, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, and um, and so we're going to today. We're looking at uh, continuing poetry. And we are looking at Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Lamentation. So uh, I wanted to kind of bring what uh, Wayman said uh, up to the front uh, as far as his, uh, opening thoughts and things of that sort. Um, uh, looking at Lamentations as a, a book of poetry. And that's, that's and when you read it, you'd be like, huh? But you can see um, Jeremiah's despair and um, cry about uh, Jerusalem um, in their time of the Babylonian captivity. And one thing that um, that we kind of talked about when we talked about uh, the beginning of poetry, we said that Lamentations rides on the edge of being a poetry and a prophetic book. And so um, Lamentations definitely have um, two uh, a definite two genres of, um, of literature in it. So it, it kind of gives you the poetic feel of how it's set up. And then, um, and then it gives you the poetry. Excuse me one second, I gotta wipe this eye out, sorry. Wipe it. Take your time, then. It's all right. <laughs> right. Take your time. Get it all. So you I know. You started to bother me. I said, good morning. Just start running. Uh, so, Are you uh, sure those aren't tears of laughter? You were laughing mighty hard a couple of minutes ago. Well, no, it's not laughter because I feel something. Something's in my eye. I can feel it. You know how it is. Like, yeah. You just, you just reminded me to go take this out. Let me go get this Zyrtec right now. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to definitely take take some before I go to church. Anyway, sorry, y'all. Um, and so, uh, so he talked, kind of talked about that as um, looking at Lamentations as a um, poetic literature. Um, growing up, you know, I never looked at Lamentations as poetry. I just thought of thought of that as just a a book in the Old Testament or whatnot. So that was one point. And then he talked about uh, Songs of Solomon and how careful we got to be with Songs of Solomon. Um, and um, because we tend to over-spiritualize, but um, it is really a conversation between a man and woman and how they love and quote unquote appreciate one another. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's something that we got to uh, uh, really keep in mind. I was taught to um, spiritualize it, looking at it, the relationship between God and Israel and things of that sort. But when you're reading it, you'd be like, oh, that's a little touchy. To <laughs> How am I supposed to do that? Right, right. So it's really hard to kind of keep it in that in that span. Like there are some chapters you I, I you know, you can or whatnot, especially chapter three. But I think that's the chapter that I always um, was taught to kind of relate to God and um, Israel and things of that sort. And there are some other places too 
uh, within Songs of Solomon that kind of describes um, uh, the relationship and feast days and things of that sort. So yeah, <laughs> that's a good connection. And you had one more point. What was your What was your last one? My last thought, and, and it's crazy because I went backwards. I should have started with uh, what Solomon wrote, which is Ecclesiastes, but I went to the third book and ended up back here. But I love the, I don't know if it's a question or a comment, but because we, in the last few weeks, we've talked about how Solomon started off good and then he ended up, you know, really turning away. But then at the, in the Arthur's um, uh, trying to figure out when this book was written, you know, he would begin to tell us like this was written at um, the later part of his life when he finally turned his life around and got back yeah. with God. And I thought that was because knowing that and, and, and even considering um, that, you know, modern day scholars would believe that this is at the later point of Solomon's life, like now approaching it, knowing it's still a poetry book, but then to consider his mindset now, right. that he's, he's literally been without God. You know right. what I mean? Like, you know, he could not, he was just, he was on the complete other side. And it's almost like now he's somewhat like pleading, like, listen, like this ain't it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was intriguing and in, just in my approach, because, you know, coming in, coming in as a new believer, these were some of my favorite books to go in just because they were a little graphic. They seemed a little, little, little secular and worldly, you know yeah. what I mean? So it was like, so the, just to think about that little thing um, just really is, and if I ever have to go back and reteach this book and all that, it's going to really force me to, to really understand the author's intent. And then if all manner of scripture is inspired by God to really seek why God would inspire this for our lives, for us to read and to kind of gain some understanding on yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good that's a really good point that you that you made um, connecting it to God's uh, God's plan of salvation. How how does this fit? How does this book fit into into that or whatnot? So um, yeah, that that's a really that's a really good point. So um, the table's open as far as just opening thoughts and things from your reading or even last week's class. If you wanted to bring up a point, then. Um, this is your time to do that. All right. Just want to make sure I afford you all the opportunity. Um, as you see, today is a pretty, uh, I wouldn't say juicy, but it's a pretty good uh, class as far as um, the type of literature that we are reading. And so uh, just kind of backtrack a little bit. We are in the section of poetry. So remember the characteristics of poetry books is that we're, we're reading about um, the emotions and um, the feelings of Israel. Um, and so um, now we're kind of getting into um, looking at the feelings of Jeremiah, at the feelings of Solomon and, and things of this sort of things that were going on personally in their lives and what was going on with, um, with Israel as well. So just remember, remember um, that uh, mindset when it comes to um, looking at poetry. Okay, so um, the book of Ecclesiastes. We're gonna go ahead and jump into that. Let me share my screen with you all. And so, if you have your 
um, you have your book, which I don't hear, but I have my electronic book. But I don't know what page number it's on uh, in the uh, hard copy book. Um, but if someone want to yell out the page number in the hard copy book, um, I am uh, looking at Ecclesiastes and we're looking at the authorship and date of Ecclesiastes. So um, uh, on the slide, it says the, I am sharing. Okay, I am sharing. Okay, the authorship of Ecclesiastes is greatly debated. Many hold to a solid uh, Solomonic authorship, whereas others adamantly oppose that position. So there is internal evidence that support both sides of the debate. So um, the book never claims Solomon's authorship directly, but as you will see, the author of our textbook holds to a Solomon authorship. Um, I tend to lean towards Solomon authorship uh, also. However, I'm not dogmatic about it. Um, a late date, um, thank you, Dale, well, 176 for you all. So a late date before uh, Solomon's death of um, 931 BC will be appropriate for the writing of the book. So uh, when women brought out the, the point of um, uh, uh, Solomon writing this book after he done, you know, backslide and was all in the world and uh, quote unquote in the world doing whatever he uh, uh, disobeyed God and did whatever he wanted to do. And then he repented. Um, and so they believe that this, this book um, was written kind of kind of around that time or whatnot. So um, when you look at, in your book, um, when you go to the second paragraph, it says seven times the author identifies himself as a Kohelet or the preacher. In many ways, Ecclesiastes is a sermon in which Kohelet set forth certain conclusions based on his observation and certain Old Testament passages. So the word Kohelet you may see it spelled with a K, you may see it spelled with a Q, and the Kohelet means a preacher or the one who gathers the people. And so think it not strange, the name Ecclesiastes, you, you find the word ecclesia in the name, which means what the called out ones. So there is a preacher calling out those of Israel to come together and to be and uh, and to be taught the word of God. When you read Ecclesiastes um, near kind of near the end of the book, it talks about what a, a Kohelet does. And the first thing is that he's a preacher, so he calls the people in. And then second, he's a teacher, so he teaches them about the scriptures. Okay, so you kind of see the connection of of, of what we see today. Um, we are called to be preachers, to call those who belong to God um, through the gospel, spreading of the gospel into the ecclesia, into the group of the called out one or the church. And then once we get them in, in uh, once um, God engrafts them or put them in the, in the body, then we, then we teach them. Okay, so I hope y'all see that connection. Um, uh, it's not really explained in this book, but um, when you connect the what, what what Ecclesiastes is saying, what a teacher does, and the word Kohila means preacher, and the word Ecclesiastes have the, the first part, Ecclesia, you just kind of, you know, put it together or, or whatnot. So um, so that is a connection there. So any comments or, or questions or thoughts about, about that? Probably never looked at it in that way, but 
any comments or questions about that? All right, cool. I just wanted to just throw it out there, something to, to really keep in mind. And so you'll see um, that word mentioned. If you um, have read the book of Ecclesiastes, you see that word mentioned in there. And I wanted to uh, throw this point out there. Um, I know that this for this class, I haven't really emphasized level one, level two, and things of that sort. But I wanted to, to make mention that, you know, level one is just, you know, reading the, just coming to class, um, observing reading the assignment, things of that sort. Level two is actually, you know, reading, reading the assignment and reading the corresponding book. You can read the corresponding book with it. So, so if we're reading, if we're studying about Ecclesiastes, actually I will probably two, level two or three, but if we're reading Ecclesiastes, um, it will be, it will be um, helpful for you to go read the book of Ecclesiastes. And you may say, well, a lot of these books have long chapters and things of that sort. Um, what I do is um, I just turn on the, the Bible app and let it play. So while I'm in the car, I may listen to the book. While I'm exercising, I may listen to the book or whatever, um, just to try to, you know, try to get it in. And a lot of the stuff that the author is talking about, it will begin to connect. Um, you, will, you will understand where he's coming from and, and um, develop your own thoughts and, and reasoning and things of that sort. OK, so I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Um, so back to the book, though, um, that third paragraph, it says it's probably best to assume that Solomon wrote the book toward the end of his life after he had much experience so very much. Um, Solomon had begun his reign walking with the Lord and ruling with great wisdom. But Solomon sinned by turning from the Lord to serve idols and so experienced life apart from the true God. OK, so after he repented and turned back to the Lord, Solomon could reflect insightfully on his failure and his foolishness, he understood um, experientially the emptiness of uh, living away from the Lord. Since Solomon died in 931, a date is shortly before that will be assigned to this book here. Okay, so um, this is kind of what uh, the author believes that this book could be written around, around that time. Okay, so the purpose of of Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes report, records man struggle to find the meaning and fulfillment of life. The basic theme is, um, is that life is empty and meaningless apart from a right relationship with God. And that's something that we can even agree with today in the church, that life is meaningless without a right relationship with God. Even when you belong to him, even when you're saved, you still have to uh, work out your soul salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit by developing your relationship with God. And so um, just living your life, whatever, you know, how you want to is meaningless without um, being uh, positioned, uh, having that right um, relationship with God. Um, and under, in your book, the second sentence, it says, let me see here. Oh yeah, let's go to the second sentence. It's the base basic theme is that life is empty and meaningless apart from the right relationship with God. Unless a man comes to know the creator, nothing in the creation can bring him peace and satisfaction. Everything will be in vain. All of man's pursuits will eventually leave him discontent and empty. So it doesn't matter how successful you are in life, doesn't matter what you accomplish in life. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you're not connected to the creator, that it means nothing. So that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about there. Um, the basic outline 
we see in our book here, it says um, the introductory thought on human fertility, some demonstrations on human fertility developments and the concluding thoughts on human uh, fertility, okay? And then you see um, under the important um, data, you'll see the, the meaning of Ecclesiastes come from the Greek word for preacher. So Ecclesiastes is a sermon. So you bring you bring the people in uh, to to the to the church or to the the called out group and to hear teachings or sermons. So you 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 will do sermons for those who belong to God. For those who don't belong to God, you 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 preach the gospel or you bring them in by telling them about about God and things of that sort. So remember, we're dealing with. I'm, I'm trying to do a connection, but I want to see you all. I want to, I'm sorry. I want to make sure you see um, dealing with Israel of, of them first already um, being, you know, belonging to God because they, they, um, uh, what is it called? Um, I can't think. I want to say national. That's not nationally. They, um, I can't think of the word. It just, it just escaped me. They um, belong to God because of their their background, because of who they are, um, because there is you know they're Israelites, but some have drawn away from him from from him. Their nationality. Thank you. Hey, I was gonna say nation. I'm like, no, it's not nation. I can't think of nationality. It uh, uh, automatically causes them to um, be be saved, and so, but many of them has fallen away during this time. And so that um, Kohelet is the person that will call them back um, to belong to God. And once they are amongst one another, they will hear uh, the message, the teachings of, of God and things of that sort. So that's how um, kind of Ecclesiastes work a sermon with the called out, you know, with the called out ones teaching about God and things of that sort. Um, so when it comes to special consideration, you, you'll see he uses the word vanity. Um, go to the second paragraph under special considerations. It says, in approaching the subject as he did, Solomon used several words and phrases repeatedly. The word vanity used 37 times refers to that which is vanished away like a mirage. So much of man's uh, pursuits fall into this category. Vanity of vanities is not a verdict on life in general, but on the life lived apart from God. Okay. And then the next paragraph is the phrase under the sun used 27 times speaks of the reasoning of the secular man as he views life on the purely natural plane. It is at this point that many have had difficulties with some statements found in Ecclesiastes. The fate of the son of man and the fate of the beast is the same, but it must remember that much of this book is written from the perspective of secular human reasoning. These are the thoughts of man who lived under the sun. So remember, these poetry books are, are very universal. Um, so they're kind of written to mankind that those who don't even belong to God can relate to the things that are said here in, in these uh, particular books. Um, but of course, like we like I've been trying to um, uh, exercise in y'all and try to tell you all that because we are the church, we have a greater revelation than than what the world has or whatnot. And so uh, one one thing that you may hear common um, at funerals is is Ecclesiastes three, a time to be born, a time to die. Like 
I don't, I don't care what funeral you go to. You you may hear you may hear that, and and that's basically you know what you what you hear about death. But because we are believers, we belong to Christ. We have a greater revelation when it comes to death. Um, for those who don't belong to God, they're just in the ground, and they're they uh, determine their uh, God determines their fate. But because we are, we belong to God and God already communicated what that will look like, that should give us a hope in God that should allow us to uh, rejoice in the fact that, um, that we have a, a crown waiting for us, that we have uh, rewards uh, waiting for us for those who are faithful in him. Um, and so uh, absent from the body means present with the Lord. And so those are the things to, to rejoice with. Uh, rather than just looking at just death, being born and dying, things of that sort. So I hope you kind of see that um, connection there of the greater revelation and greater promises that we have. Okay. Um, let me see here. And then the next paragraph, it says, Solomon also spoke to man's pursuit in life as striving after the wind. The phrase emphasized that part from God, man spends his life engaging in matters that cannot bring contentment but rather bring emptiness and dissatisfaction. So, um, so yeah, that's um, the special considerations. And then um, you can definitely read about the summary of Ecclesiastes gives you um, kind of what, what's going on and uh, talk about things being in vain. And if you don't have God, then life is meaningless. And so, um, and so that's pretty much the book of Ecclesiastes. So any comments or questions with that? Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Um, I like how God chose a king, someone with power, with a position, with all the money he could use to say, none of this means anything. <laughs> right. God, God is everything. And I mm -hmm. think that is so powerful that, like I say, he chose someone of great position, great stature, um, didn't want, didn't need for anything, didn't, didn't have a want for anything. Wives, it didn't matter. He said, none of this is nothing unless you have God. Yeah. And I think that is, I think that's, one thing that really God emphasized on me is like that, that even goes for now. Don't matter how many cars you got, how many, how much is in your bank account. It don't matter. As long matter. as God is first, that means nothing. Right. I, and I, I just think that is awesome. I just think that is awesome. Yeah, it, it is. So when you think about who Solomon is, the son of the, the, the son of, of David, and he was, like you said, high of stature in power. He was the king. And he um, prayed, you know, first prayed for wisdom and began to follow God. But now all of a sudden he got caught up in the, in the affairs of the world, um, allowing the, the women to entice him and, and things like that. So and pulled him away from God. So he lived that life. And then coming back around, he's like, you know what? All of that was not worth it if you don't have God. So yeah, it is a deep, it is, it is really deep and it's something to really um, hold on to, adhere to and just continue to ponder on. So yeah, thank you for that thought. That was a good, that's a good point. Anybody else? 
Uh, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Uh, because I know that uh, Godway is so powerful. Mm-hmm. But I find that many people, they go uh, and live their lives without God for so long. Yeah. Uh, I often wonder that even upon their deathbed, because of the way they linger on, is it possible that God is still, even because he is so loving, even at that time of their life, is he still giving them the opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me, and he take them in? I wonder about that because I've been around serving people um, that have been on their dying bed, and um, I wouldn't say that. I think that to the believer, it's an amazing thing mm-hmm. when you feel like you have done all that you can do uh, and you have given your life to God. But when I see people that have lived uh, differently than the believers, um, how they seem to linger on. And then it's like their whole, um, um, I mean, their facial features and everything just changes. And at mm-hmm. the end of their death, I see them, some of them, they smile. And I often wonder, even then upon your deathbed, does God give you that opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder about that. Yeah. Because God, because God is so sovereign. He is so loving. You know, mm-hmm. he, he wants us to be, well, he considers us all his. But even right. though you live these bad lives or you live your life in a certain manner, you know, at that end of, ending of the time, I just often thought about that. Like, do you think he he's given them still that opportunity to be his completely? Right. Yeah. So one thing that we must keep in mind is that, um, it, which is so hard for us to understand, is that we don't choose God. God chooses us. Exactly. And, and there. For, for us to come into that realization that we have been called, it may be done in the, in the early stages of life or it may be done right before you go. Um, it's, that's just like you said, the sovereignty of God. And if they got that opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior at that last minute, then they, then they are saved. They belong to God. So God is the only one who knows whether or not uh, they belong to them or not, but if they, you know, according to scripture, if they confess and believe, then yeah, they, they, they definitely belong. They belong to God. So yeah, that's, that's a really everyone. I know that's, that's the question I used to have too. And to understand that, um, I guess what kind of kept me grounded is the fact that I can't choose God, but God can choose me and allow me to realize that I have been chosen and so uh, whether that person was hearing the call all his life, but it, you know, just ignored it and just went on, but finally answered the call uh, right at the right at the brink. Um, yeah, that 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 that's the sovereignty of God. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. That's a good question. Anybody want to chime in on that one? Yeah, could, could I? Sure. That reminds that reminds me of Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the two thieves. Mm-hmm. Then the one thief 
um, accept God at his time of death. And he said, yeah. welcome on in. So yeah. that will be my mm -hmm. analogy in the Bible for, for that question. Yes. If I could yeah. say. Yeah, that is good. That is a really good one right there, right at the brink. I mean, he was on the brink of dying. And uh, he said, you know, remember me. And he said, you know, and that, and he was the last one to be able to enter into, into paradise. And so, yeah, that is a good example. So, yeah, any, anybody else? All right, cool. Yep. So I, I believe, yeah. So those are kind of my, my thoughts on it or whatnot. Um, so anybody else have any uh, comments or, or questions about Ecclesiastes? If not, we'll go to the next book, Song of Solomon. All right, we'll go on. So the, the lovely Song of Solomon here. Uh, so let's look at the authorship and date of Song of Solomon. It says, like the books of Ecclesiastes, <coughs> Excuse me. The book of um, Song of Solomon does exert the king's authorship. So the book was written by King Solomon, perhaps uh, 960 BC. So early in his reign, this was probably written, they believe. Um, when you go into your book, the second sentence says that though Solomonic authorship has been questioned, it has been traditional uh, traditional viewpoint of the Jewish rabbis and conservative uh, Christian scholars that the entire book was written by Solomon, okay? And then it says that the book itself states that Solomon wrote it and his name is mentioned several times in the, in the book. Um, even on the first, uh, the first chapter where, when it just mentions Solomon's name, um, many believe that there are earlier manuscripts though that, do, that don't have that top uh, first verse there. That is something that was kind of added on uh, on later manuscripts. Um, that reminds me of when we were studying um, Ephesians, how um, how uh, it will say, you know, this is written to those who are, you know, at Ephesians or things like things of that sort. But in the earlier, there are earlier manuscripts that don't even have the word. Um, I mean, uh, not at, at Ephesians, but in Ephesus, um, there are other <laughs> earlier manuscripts that don't even have at Ephesus in there. So uh, this kind of reminded me of that. So um, we know that. Um, uh, manuscripts kind of change, they kind of add in and take in things and things of that sort. But even in the midst of the scriptures, though, you will see kind of that Solomonic um, authorship in it. Um, the purpose and the basic outline of um, Solomon. So um, it says this lengthy poem of um, evaluates human sexual love to the place that God intended. The books records the reminiscent of the bridegroom and his bride, okay? Um, in your book, it says the lengthy poem elevates human sexual love in the place that God intended. Although the Bible often warns of negative consequences of immorality, it also extols the blessing that comes from moral behavior. This book records the reminiscences of the bridegroom and his bride, and doing this, in so doing, the scripture shows the joys of physical love within the boundaries of marital commitment, okay? So a lot of teachers, a lot of, you know, people, they kind of stay leer from this book, but this is a good book that shows us what a healthy, you know, relationship looks like or whatnot. And the connection between the bride and his bride and the bridegroom, okay? So um, 
So yeah, and so we look at the outline. You got courtship, consummation, commitment. So those are kind of the three three sections that the author um, divides this book into. Um, let's see here. When you look at the special considerations, it says there have been a number of divergent interpretations of this book, but the two are prominent: the allegorical and the literal. So the book had been a problem to many Bible students because the explicit discussion of physical love, a widely held attitude um, is that God would not include such explicit love poems in the sacred scriptures. As a result, they, they view the song as an allegory of God's love for Israel, Christ's love for the church. Although it's true, um, it is true that both Israel and the church are seen in a motif of a wife or a bride of God the motif is not found in this book. It is far better to interpret this book normally as a poem of human love, okay? And the next paragraph is um, after the special paragraph. It says, it should be remembered that the Bible speaks clearly and forcefully, and forcefully on human sexuality in other places as well as this one. Sex rightly used is a joy and a blessing, whereas sex wrongly used brings us pain and grief. Should the story of Lot uh, committing incest with his daughters in a cave belong um, in the Bible and Solomon's love for his new wife be excluded? The Song of Solomon should be interpreted literally as a personal love poem, giving additional wisdom for God on human sexuality. So that's a topic that we often don't really talk about in church, but it's really needed. It's really needed. Will I teach it? No, <laughs> no. But um, it's, it's really needed, though, to uh, talk about. Go ahead, Dale. Question. Why sure. was the word bridegroom? used versus just groom and then when did we transform from the bridegroom from for that being a man to just using groom to just right. when did that that's a jew it's a jewish thing it's a cultural thing so that's that's just kind of the term they use is bridegroom and then we see it all through scripture bridegroom so um when it comes down to groom, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know when, you know, that transition took place, but we know it as the bride and groom. So yeah, really here, no, they say bride groom, and it's more of a cultural thing. So to, to me, it kind of almost feels like it was also showing that the man was being married or at least bringing God into this relationship because the man and the woman is being called the bride. Mm -hmm. That's good. And, and, and then God unifies them. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not sure, I don't know. I don't know if that's correct, but that's what my mind is mm -hmm. going to. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that. up to research and kind of put, put together. Um, I never thought about it in that way. I think that's a really good, really good point that you brought up. Um, anybody want to chime in on that or have any thoughts concerning that? Come on, Pastor, um, where you at? I had my hand up. She probably didn't see it. Go ahead, Eva. No, I have just a small saying on that, and that is um, when we uh, know the mind of God and really know, uh, follow from the word of God, how God thinks, 
um, bridegroom, if, if, uh, God never sees, nor will he ever see uh, the man, the bride, or the groom separate. Right. He mm -hmm. always sees the, uh, that's why it says when the man uh, leave his mother and father, you know, he becomes one, they becomes one. So bridegroom together is showing and emphasizing that that is a union of one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good too. Yep. Thank you for that one. Um, anybody else want to chime in their thoughts? All right, cool. Thank you for that. I think that was a really good point, Dale and um, Eva, uh, for, for that point. Uh, about the bride and the bridegroom. So, yep. Um, let's see here. Uh, when you look at the summary of, of Song of uh, Solomon, um, it says this poem consists of mainly of the rem uh, reminiscence of Solomon and his bride, the Shulamite girl, as they think back over their meeting, courtship, and marriage. The girl was a, from a poor family of Ephraim. And so, um, so you see, we begin to read the summary. It's about a young shepherd who uh, was disguised in disguise. It was actually King Solomon, and um, you know he met he met this girl and things of that sort. And then Solomon took her took her back to the palace in Jerusalem as his as his bride. And so it talks about their connection and um, them, you know, the courtship, the, the marriage, and things of that sort. So that is pretty much the Song of Solomon. So anybody have any questions or comments about or anything you want to pull out of the Song of um, Solomon? All right, just want to make sure, let's see here. Make sure we um, talked about that. So then we are moving right along. We're doing good on time. Come on. We're going right into Lamentations. So when we look at the book of Lamentations compared to Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, so um, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon are written around the, the 900 BC times, whereas Lamentations is written a little, a little bit earlier than that. Um, let me see here. It is... Uh, well, not not written. I'm sorry, but the the events that took place in the book of Reve uh, not Revelation, <laughs> Lamentations, took place around the 500, you know, 500 um, BC mark because Jeremiah is reminiscing or looking looking at the the captivity, Babylonian captivity, which took place around 587 BC. And so, um, so let's look at let's hop into Lamentations and see what. What is it about here? Um, let's see here. Let me go back to my slide. All right. So, come on. All right. So it says that um, on this slide here, it says there's never been any serious challenge to a Jeremiah authorship for the book of Limitations. Uh, Tracy, go ahead before I hop in. Go ahead. Um wouldn't it be exactly the opposite? 500 was much later than 900 BC. Did what I, I, no, yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought you said earlier time, but 500 would be like 400 years later. I'm thinking, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so 900 would be earlier than um, than 500. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yep, that was my fault there. But yeah, so yeah, 900 is during. David's time, um, 
because he ruled on the throne from like 1010 to, to 970, I, I believe, or not 970, but 1010 to, oh, I can't remember the date now to be ruled for, I can't remember the date, but he started ruling in about 1010 BC. And then uh, Solomon came on the, on the throne in the 900s. So yes, 500. So it hops earlier, I mean, I keep saying earlier, later, <laughs> later in the timeline of, um, of history, uh, dealing with Babylonian captivity, okay? So during Solomon's time, they were still con uh, considered to be a united kingdom. They were, um, that was their golden, golden years of them being at peace. And they were um, looked at as being this great kingdom. Um, and so when you begin to read Lamentations, you will see that um, the people, they, uh, uh, Jeremiah begins to talk about how the people just kind of shook their head at Jerusalem and see, uh, well, I guess Israel and see their their fallen state and to see um, the the condition they were in. Um, and many of them wanted for Israel to fall um, that Jeremiah talks about. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's, Jeremiah goes, you know, goes on and on about um, basically the fallen, the fallen nature of uh, of Babylon, oh, I mean not Babylon. Shoot, of of, uh, of uh, Israel when Babylon took them under captivity. There we go. I get my words together. So, um, second sentence in this paragraph says, in the light of the sequence of events found in Second Kings twenty five and Jeremiah forty and forty four, it is likely that Jeremiah penned the book at Mitzvah in five eighty six B.C. He was at Mitzvah when Jerusalem was burned and reduced to rubble okay um in your book under the the special paragraph under authorship it says such evidence include the following the septuagint and vocate introductions of the book which reached jeremiah said weeping and lamented with the lamentation over jerusalem um the hebrew hebrew and gentile tradition um that that gives um, the authorship to jeremiah and then number three similarities between lamentations and poetical portions of Jeremiah. And then four, the writer was an eyewitness of Jerusalem's destruction with a sensitivity of soul and the ability to, to write, okay? So when it comes to the purpose of, um, of, Jer of, of, not Jeremiah, of lamentations, it says the book is a lament over the destruction of Jerusalem in the hands of the Babylonian armies following months of devastating siege of, of the city. The poem is a sequel to the book of Jeremiah, okay? Um, so when you look at the um, basic outline, um, it gives you, it breaks it down into sections of the, of the cry or the, the lamentation, um, talks about Jerusalem's grief, uh, talks about God's wrath, um, continuing the hope, Number four is the sin consequences. And number five, the prayerful confessions. So um, I think Lamentations is only like six, seven chapters, uh, five, sorry, five chapters. And so it's a really, it's not a difficult read. Um, it it, it, it kind of gives you, like, like I said, that emotional view of how someone would um, look at the destruction of, of their precious of their precious uh, province of, of, of Israel. And so uh, we see that and um, it's a very, um, 
good book. There was one section, let me see. I didn't put it in my notes, but I was um, reading it yesterday um, about, I probably can't find it. Let's see, I was reading the English Standard Version. But it was one, it was one point I, th- I just thought it was interesting when um, we was talking about the in- their enemies and how they just wanted for, you know, for, um, for Israel to be, to fail, basically. You know, you call, you cause yourself this perfect place and this, this place of beauty and things of that sort and look at you now. <laughs> so yeah, there's always somebody out there wanting for you to fall. And, um, and so Jeremiah kind of writes, writes about that. So any, um, anybody have any comments or questions about uh, Lamentation? All right. So um, when it comes to, let me see here. Let me go back to my notes here. Special considerations. It says the unique feature about this poetry of limitation is that the acrostic arrangement. So in this arrangement, the first four chapters, excuse me, are alphabetic acrostic. Each chapter has 22 verses or a multiple or a multiple thereof. The 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are, u- are used successfully to begin each verse in chapter in uh, one and two, in verses one and two. Chapters three and four allot um, three and two verses respectfully to each Hebrew letter. Although five has 22 verses, it does not represent the alphabetic acrostic. So as, as we're reading the English version, we're not able to see that acrostic. Um, but I, uh, if you're reading the, the Hebrew version, you'll be able to see uh, what the author is talking about there, okay? Um, so it says it, it may well be that Jeremiah employed this literary device as a memory aid for his countrymen who would read this poem. And so remember that um, when it comes to them um, trans, not translating, but uh, transferring or, or telling about their scriptures, they would use different literary devices or methods like this. And so this is just the same thing like we do. You may use a, a cross-sticks to remember something, or you may use some type of mnemonic to remember something. I was the mnemonic queen in high school. I got mnemonic everything. That's how I probably got through high school was using the mnemonic system. And that that was the kind of the common thing um, that, uh, that Israel... Uh, that Jews used to to remember their scriptures or to remember stories and things of that sort. They would use various literary devices, okay? So when you look at the summary of Lamentations, it says, Lamentation expressed the reaction of one who was an eyewitness and deeply involved in the terrible event, even though Jeremiah had warned Judah for some 40 years that such judgment would come, the event itself was overwhelming. So, of course, God raised up prophets uh, to to for for Israel to tell about their disobedience and tell them what is to come due to their disobedience, but Israel did not adhere to it. And so Jeremiah, just just picture Jeremiah is giving is um, giving the word from God to give to the people, and the people ignored it. And then when the destruction happened, when the captivity happened. Jeremiah is watching it all happen. So yeah, it will make you emotional. So we hear, we see the emotional side of, of Jeremiah, 
the laments, the cries of, of the whole issue that's going on. And the next paragraph, it says, great grief is expressed over the wrath of God poured out on Judah. As the covenant people witnessed the removal of their king, the burning of the temple and the destruction of their land, they could find no comfort anywhere. False prophets were partly to blame for their condition. Of course, they were getting all types of words, all types of prophecy, and uh, they leaned towards that because it sounded good. The, the prophecy sounded good and it, it relieved their itching ears. So um, the people had not listened to man, to men like Jeremiah and the nightmare of the long siege came upon them. Starvation and cannibalism became part of life in the city. Uh, in all of this, Jeremiah acknowledged that God was holy, righteous, and faithful. And the poem ended, he pleaded for mercy, confessing the sins of his people. Okay. Hey. So go ahead. Oh, no, I was saying, I love how I remember when reading that, how all the false prophecies, you know, at the time, you don't know that they were false prophecies, but these prophecies are going forth. And even Jeremiah was like, oh, okay. Like, all right, bet. Like, this is what God going to do. And then right. God checked him when he walked away. Like, hold up. No, let me tell you what I'm really saying. And Jeremiah had to literally turn around and deliver a word after hearing what pretend, what sounded good to even the man of God. Like, oh, okay. Uh, if this is yeah. what God going to do, I'm with it. You know what I mean? And then God had to come back and be like, absolutely not. So that's a, that's a even... We see a challenge in the nature of Jeremiah really being in tune with God to, to hear beyond what had felt good because he was still human. He's not Jesus. You know what I mean? Like he was still this human and hearing he's like bet and then have to hear God switch up on him. And then, yeah, I, yeah that was that was powerful to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that point there. That's there. Yeah, that was a really good point. Um, anybody else? All right, cool beans. So that is the basically the section of poetry. So we are done with poetry. And next week we are hopping into the intro to prophecy. We're going to hop into um, prophecy next week. And um, I want you all to, to look at kind of the, the I, guess set, I guess it's chapter 22. It talks about God's prophetic messenger. So we're going to kind of talk about the office of the prophet and the name for the prophet and all that stuff, the seer, the man of God, all that stuff. So we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, we'll see how, we probably won't get far. I already see this class uh, going, um, getting to have some good conversation about that. Um, but um, I, I probably will add in Obadiah. We'll see um, how far we get, but just go ahead and read the intro to prophecy and then read Obadiah. And then the week of, let's see that, let's see next week is uh, the, what is, what week is that? Like the 19th or something, 18th. Let's see, what's today? The 10th. So next week is 17. Then yeah, next week is 17. And then following week is 24. So we won't have class on the 24th. I'll be out of town. And, um, and so I won't, I won't be here then. So we'll cl cancel class on the 24th. So next week we'll, we'll start the intro to the prophetic books and then we'll pick it up. Uh, I guess it would be uh, the beginning of August. Or is that a 30? Is that a 30? Okay, 31st. Okay, 
Yep, here it is now. Yep, thirty uh, first will uh, continue with um, some books in, in the in the prophetic prophetic genre. So, um, any questions or comments? Um, I just wanted to say that the kings and rulers and and people in authority during Jeremiah's time, uh -huh. they knew that he was a real prophet because they oh. would keep throwing him in a hole. And then they'd come to him in the dark and night and say, what, what's the word from the Lord, you know? So I, th they have no excuse for <laughs> letting Listen, that happen. <laughs> they are without excuse. They knew, they knew uh, who the prophets were during that time. And because that, that word didn't tip of their ear, like you said, it threw them in the hall, but yet they still wanted to hear it was, yeah, it's, yeah, they're, they're definitely, <laughs> they are definitely without excuse. And so uh, you have to handle your consequences. God gave out, gave the outline of, you know, if you, in Deuteronomy, if you obey me, then you will, you will receive these blessings. If you are disobedient, this is going to happen. So it ain't like they, they, they were caught off guard. <laughs> they, they knew exactly what they were doing. So yeah. Yeah. They knew he was a prophet. <laughs> he said they knew he was a prophet. That's right. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? All right, cool beans. So um, I will pray and then I will see you all next week. Look at that, 1027. Come on, doing pretty good. I got a record going on here in class early. So uh, I'll pray out. Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you, oh God, for allowing us to come together and to read and to understand and study your word, Father. We thank you, oh God, for these accounts that we're reading about Israel. And we, uh, in this, we're learning more and more about you, Father, and the grace that you had towards Israel, um, in spite of their, their disobedience. Um, many may look at you as being this angry God and being um, a certain way, but God, um, you were very patient. You were very loving. You gave Israel chance after chance to, to get it right, and they, they didn't do it, God. And so, um, but we are thankful, God, that um, the grace that we live under as well, um, that, you know, we may fall day after day after day, God, but um, you have graced us, Father. You have given us another chance, Father. And we think we are so thankful for your son, God, um, that died for us, Father, that we may continue to be in you, Father, and that um, we have a greater advantage than Israel, Father, Whereas the spirit um, only uh, fell upon them. They only had the infilling, but not, not the indwelling. And we thank you, oh God, that the Holy Spirit resides in us no matter what choices we make as believers, Father. We thank you, oh God, but let, let us continue to strive on, God, to, to be better, God, and not to just stay under grace, Father, as far as our, our, our protection zone. But God, uh, continue to, to follow your word, God, continue to, um, to move in your word and continue to be obedient, Father. So God, um, I thank you and I love you and I give you all the praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. And I'll see you all next week. Good class. Thank you. Bless you guys. See ya. Love you guys. Have a great one.